So, <clears throat> with human pride comes nervousness. And uh, it's not something that I want to hide from. It's something I want to confess, and I do confess it. Uh, it's, it's ugly, and it gets in the way between us and our Lord. Uh, but I do. I, I am thankful for the opportunity to come up here and grow in humility, to challenge myself and to push myself and to, to see how far I can grow into ministering and using the Word of God in our lives. So I'll just pray, and then we'll jump right into the message. Lord, you have promised to continue and to complete that work that you have started in us. Father, I just, I look to you, I, I lean on you, Lord, to fill us with that desire to know you, to learn your Word. Help us to remember and to understand your word and help us, Lord, to see you and to recognize your love. Help me, Lord. I need and I want to learn how to love and to love better and to love because you love, Lord, and, and to love like you. I pray, Lord, that we would all know the fruits of selflessness in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this effort this morning and to help us all to hear your word. In your name, amen. So life and history have taught us and it continues to teach us the importance of having a loving father in our life. And whether we are sons or we're daughters, we all have fathers. And some of us know our fathers well, fathers that have been there for us. Some of us haven't seen our fathers for a, a long time. And some of us have never known our fathers. And there's even sadly, there, there may be some of you out here that wish they had never known their fathers. So just look around you. The world is suffering. You don't need to move to the inner city to find a world full of people who lack a sense of identity of people that are trying to fill an emptiness that they, they can't describe and hurts that they don't understand. It's hard to know what's missing when you're missing it. And when a father is missing or a, a father even neglects to love his family properly, there's a sense of loss that we, it's hard to describe. And even the best of you fathers, if that's you out there, it's certainly not me, but if, if, if that is you out there, even the best of the fathers have left this world wanting for love in one way or another. The world is hungry and it doesn't know for what. The message this morning from Luke 15, it's not a message about, it's not a message to fathers about what kind of fathers we are, but it's a message to all of us about a father that we have a father who his love is really unknown in the world it's it's a love that even us who who say we know the father and we throw the word love love and the father around together we still don't comprehend that love as well as we should or could but it's a father that uh, who knows you 
who loves you and is pursuing you. He's pursuing all of us. This book has been given to us, written and given to us by that father. And the, a father who the psalmist in Psalms 23 describes like this, every day of my life, your beauty and your love chase after me. And in Isaiah, our father is described like this, though the mountains and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken. And with the way that we throw or toss around love, the word love in our, in our culture, it's, it's easy to take for granted. How easy is it to forget that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in his image for his purposes? How hard is it do we remember that he has numbered every hair on our head? Are those just pretty words? Or do we take them? Can we take them and hold them in our heart? Luke 15 has been written not only to those who don't know the Father, but again to all of us so that we can know the Father better, to know our Heavenly Father better. Our passage today is the entire chapter of Luke 15, but it focuses mostly on verses 11 through 32. And verses 11 through 32 is Jesus' parable that we think of as the prodigal son. And the three main characters are a certain man who had two sons. He, this certain man, he represents our Father, our Heavenly Father. And then the younger son who left, left, went out to the world, into the nations of the world. He represents us, Gentiles who have been lost since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Then the older son, and he represents the Pharisees, the Jews, a son who thinks he knows the Father well, thinks he loves the Father, thinks he's earned the Father's love. And we generally, we generally focus on one of those two sons when we, when we focus on this or when we teach this, this, uh, this parable, this portion of scripture, we usually focus on one of the two sons. And we can, we can draw an understanding from ourselves, from either of those sons. And we should. But that's, that's not why Jesus gave this message. It's not what was on Jesus' heart. He told this story so that we would see the Father. That we'd be able to recognize him by his love. We are dead. Each and every one of us were dead until we know the Father and we can begin to understand his love. And if we back up just a little bit to the beginning of chapter 15, we find what prompted Jesus to tell this story. Jesus is teaching and he's brought with him the message of our Father's kingdom where the law of Moses, that law, that, that law that's been unable to be followed by men. They can't fulfill the law, they can't follow the law. That law is gonna be fulfilled by Jesus himself. And it's gonna bring, it's gonna make way for a new law. It's a law of love, the love of the Spirit of God. It's a law 
of love, grace, and mercy. It's a law that, it's a love that will overcome the world it, of sin and its death and its misery. So just reading from verses 1 and 2 back at the beginning of chapter 5, and I'll read those two verses again. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Verses 1 and 2 introduce us to a world, a world that is lost, that doesn't recognize the Father's love. Chapter 15 begins with these sinners and these tax collectors drawing near to Jesus. These people were ignored. They were hated by the Pharisees. They were treated as though they were lepers. These people were seen as having no morals, no ethics, there was the scum of the earth. The tax collectors who were Pharisees, or excuse me, who were Jews. The tax collectors were Jewish men, but they had bought and paid for a license to be criminals, a license to tax their own people. And it's not like coming down here to Orangeville to the tax assessor paying your taxes down here. They were thugs. They were bullies, and they strong-armed you. They taxed beyond reason. These men were so despicable that they were cast out of their families. They weren't thought of anymore. In fact, even though they were still alive, the families had their funerals. They would have had their funeral. The sinners and the tax collectors, though, they just couldn't believe that Jesus would have compassion on them, that he would even approach them, let alone eat with them. They weren't expecting that, and so they drew near to Jesus, and they've been intent on listening him to him and to hearing him. The Pharisees and scribes were right there and they were watching this and they were taking it all in. And they're thinking, man, you don't do this. Not in my world, not in our world. You don't eat with sinners. To eat with sinners is to accept them, to agree with their lifestyle. You don't love the unlovable, and that's what's going on in these people's mind. And remember, this is, this is reality, this is history. We're not at the parable yet. We're not at Jesus' teaching where he draws out these parables. This is an everyday life in the heart of God's people. Jesus is gonna tell these parables in, in Luke 15 here, because he wants men, he wants Gentiles. He wants the Jews to know that they don't know how to love, and they don't know how to love because they don't know the Father. And with Jesus standing right before them, they've come face to face with God Almighty. In the Gospel of John, the, the apostles ask Jesus, hey, would you just would you show us the Father? Come on, if you know him so well, would you just show him to us? And what does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father himself has said that in Jesus, my love has been revealed. 
He is the exact representation of my being. God is pursuing these people. God is pursuing the world. He's pursuing us today. His love is at their doorstep. And in these parables, that love is going to knock on the heart of their door, on the door of their heart, sorry. Jesus is God and who became man so that he could die as a man. He's a sinless man and he died in our place for our sin so that our sin can be forgiven. And that sin that had separated us from the Father. Here, the, the world didn't know. The world still doesn't know the Father. The Jews, the people that God separated out of the world to be his own people, his own possession, so that they could know him and enjoy him, they didn't even know the Father or his love. They didn't recognize it. Jesus is standing in the midst of a world without any true knowledge of love. We stand there also. So Jesus speaks these three parables in Acts or in Luke 15. And we'll move quickly through the first two. The first parable is in verses 4 through 7. In reading, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends, neighbors, village. He calls everyone together. And he rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. And then in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one of you, one of us, that will repent and come back to the embrace of the Father, run to the Father and to his embrace. The 99 people who think they're there already. Verse 4 through 7, they just tell us of a man, a hundred sheep, and if, how if one of them is lost, that that man is going to stop at nothing until he finds it. And Jesus then doesn't stop at that thought. He then describes the joy of that father when the sheep is found. And Jesus is describing our heavenly father, our heavenly father's joy when even one of us repents and again returns to his embrace. And it's not just the father that repents, it's an entire heaven. Angels, the entire heaven rejoices when even one of you recognize your sin and run to the Lord. Verse 7, and read it again, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven. Verse 7 is the theme of this entire chapter. It's not the prodigal son. That's not the theme. We, we say it, we use it, not that we shouldn't, but it's not the theme of this chapter. It is repeated. Verse 7 is repeated in the next parable in verse 10. And then it's repeated again in the third parable in verse 24. So then the second parable, verses 8 through 10, Jesus repeats the similar message as he did in the first parable. It's about God, our Father, and his love for man, for mankind. 
The only difference is that he uses a woman and ten coins, and the woman represents God this time, and, and the ten coins represent us, the people. And again, he repeats that theme again in verse 10. And he'll do it again in 24. Then Jesus continues in verse, in, uh, with a third parable. And Jesus turns it up a notch now in this third parable. He's going to make it a bit more personal. Uh, Jesus is, again, this is his heartbeat. He wants us to know the Father. And so he's going to turn it up a notch. And he's going to describe a love that goes beyond their understanding and they're not going to get it. Not now. It's just not going to sink in. It's not going to penetrate their heart. In this parable, Jesus brings the Gentiles and the Pharisees together. He describes them, he pulls them together as one family, as brothers. They have one father, the same father who loves them equally. I mean, these vile, unrepentant sinners, even the tax collectors, he brings them together with these mighty lovers of God, these Pharisees, in their mind. They love the Father. And it's a love that's going to go on, as Jesus tells the story. It's a love that's going to go right beyond their understanding. It's unimaginable. And it's a love that is just outrageous in this culture. It's an outrageous love. It's outrageous to them and to their religious culture. Jesus knew that he would soon be going to the cross. He was aware of the price that his love for us would have to pay on that cross to defeat sin, to defeat the sin that separates us from the Father. These Pharisees were disgusted at Jesus' display of love towards these sinners, towards the tax collectors. These men, they hated love. They hated it. They hated love, and they didn't even know it. And it's not what Jesus wants for them, and it's not what he wants for us. Jesus knows that the blood that he will shed on that cross will cleanse the sin of anyone who knows that they are a sinner and comes to him, comes to Jesus, he who has died for us. He knows that with this cleansing, this forgiveness of sin, that the Father will then place his spirit in us. We've been cleansed, we've been washed, sanctified, we are made holy. We are the saints in scripture because of that, because we are holy. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. But God will place his spirit in us, will be indwelt by the spirit of God will have the ability then. This is what Jesus is, he, he knows this. This is what's going on here. He knows that it, at that point, that we'll have the ability to see and to understand the Father and his love. Jesus is drawing a picture in these parables, a picture that is vivid and full of life, full of the Father's love. He wanted those people and he wants us to have this picture so that when they look back in just a short while, when they see Jesus on that cross, mutilated, hanging there, 
when we look back to that cross, that we're going to recognize, we're going to see, we have this picture, one of many pictures, but Jesus wants them to have this picture so that when they see that, when we see that, we will begin to understand love for what it is. And it is an outrageous love. Jesus' cry on that cross really should be understood. It's a cry of love. And it's a cry that was heard around the world. And it's a cry that has saved the world. It saved the lost. It has saved you. And it is a cry of love. A love that we so often throw around. In verses 11 through 19 then, this starts the story of the prodigal son. And I'll read it again. A certain man, again, our father, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of, portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days later, after the younger son had gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And that citizen, they sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs, the swine. And he would gladly, this young man would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, all five of his senses, touch, smell, taste, sight, sound, everything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? And hired servants, a man had two types of servants, hired servants. And then like the bond servant, the, the slave, what we think of as a slave, the slave had all kinds of opportunity. They were educated, they were treated well, but hired servants were day laborers. They were paid every day. They were, and that pay was enough to feed them. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, just make me like one of those hired servants. In this part of Jesus' story, Jesus describes the younger sons, literally, it's, it's outrageous behavior. It, it's vile, it's unrestrained, it's hatred for the father. In verse 12, the younger son asks the father for his inheritance. Hey, can I have my inheritance? Give me what's mine. You know, that was not done in that culture. It, in fact, it was basically unheard of. Very much unheard of in their culture. Their culture based their existence upon the father's accumulated wealth. He cared for, he loved, he had the family's well-being. And inheritance was not considered 
until the father died. So what the son was really saying was what? To me, you're dead. In my heart, you're dead, father. At least, I think I'd be happier if you were dead. If we're parents and you're not parents, I think you could feel the knife going in, into our hearts right then, especially if you, you're a parent, mother, a father, and you've raised children, and you know the love it takes to raise a child. That lib that's just literally outrageous. You don't ask your father for his inheritance. I know it's a little different today, but not much different. But you don't ask your father to divide his livelihood. Young Jewish, Jewish men, they didn't do that. That quite probably, as far as I could tell, reading what history I could find, that, that was possibly grounds for stoning. At the very least, at the very least, the, the young man would have been cast out of his family and considered dead and they would have had his funeral. He would have been again, cast out of the family. He would have been cast. The friends, neighbors, villagers would have shunned him completely. The youngest son's portion of his father's estate, if he had died, would have been a third of all that he owned, all that the father had, a third of the land, a third of the animals, a third of all the accumulated wealth. Asking for that inheritance was hatred. It was self-love, obviously. Selflessness. Self-love. It was hatred. Hatred for the father. And it would not have been accepted by anyone. Not the family, not the villagers, and certainly not the father. But in the story that Jesus is telling, again, he has a purpose for telling this, but what does the father do? He just, it says, so he divided to them. That, that in itself would have just been outrageous again to these people listening to this. It, you, a father doesn't divide his livelihood. He doesn't do it. In their mind, that is outrageous. In their mind, a righteous father does not do that. A righteous father would have taken that son, talk about casting him out, they would have put him out on the street on his ear. He would have cast him out empty-handed. That's what would have happened. And they would have had his funeral, whether he was, even though he was alive. And the villagers and the neighbors and the family would have followed right behind the father. In verses, in verses, 14 through 16 then, the son wastes all of his inheritance on riotous, wild living. Riot, prodigal just means to waste, but here in the text it's talking about wild living, immoral living, selflessness on steroids. 
after all his money is spent, a famine hits the land, and this young man is hungry and near death. So he had to work. And this wasn't even a job. He didn't get paid. He just went and attached himself to a citizen, hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe he could find some food. And so this man, the citizen, sends him out into the fields, you know, go out, feed the pigs. But that's detestable. To these people here in the story, a Jewish boy and pigs feeding the pigs, it's detestable. He was in bondage to the world that he had worshipped. He was so hungry he would have eaten the pig's food. But that man wouldn't give him any. He wouldn't give him any. Why? Because the pigs were more important than he was. That's how outrageous this story is. And it didn't take long for this young man, this son, to go from tasting the pleasures of worldly love to knowing its misery to then being in its bondage. I mean, that's happening today. It happens in our lives. I mean, maybe not to this extreme, but just how, how easy is it to chase the world and all that the world has to offer? How easy is it to put love, focus love on ourselves? Verses 17 through 19, when this young man finally comes to his senses and realized that he, he realized what he threw out, had thrown away, he remembered the provisions and the contentment that he had with his, father, with his father's love. The ravages of sin and the taste of its bondage brought him to a place where he understood that the dependence upon the father was not bondage, but it was a place of love. Remember, this is a picture of our own Heavenly Father. The young man here, he knows that he threw his birth. He, knew, he knows that he, he sold his birthright and his place at the table. But he remembered again. He remembered the Father's love. And he figured that it would be better to live even in the shadow. I mean, can I just come in? I'll just go back and, and maybe I can be a hired servant. And he figured it would be better to be in the shadow of true love than in a world that's void of any real love, any true love, a, a world that doesn't know the Father or his love. Then in verses 20 through 24, he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring me the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on the feet, and bring the fatted calf here. Kill it. Let's eat and be merry, because this was my son. He was dead. He is alive again. He is lost and he is found. And they began to be married again 
That is the picture of being born again, born from above. The son, so before the son even reaches home, the father looks and sees him. I mean, that's, that's a father looking. Even though the son was dead in his heart, he knew the possibilities. He loved, loved. He loved, loved. And he, he, was, he was watching. The father looks and he sees his son. And the father runs to him. I mean, that, that again, men just didn't run in that culture. That was not right in this story to these men. That, men didn't do that. It was beneath them. But it's not beneath our father. He puts love first. And in this story, the father runs to him. The son doesn't even get the, he barely gets the words out. Father, I have sinned against you. He can say no more before he is overwhelmed by the father's love. A love that is greater. It's, it's large, it's greater than anything the world has to offer. It's larger than the world itself. The love of the world is not free. This is a story not so far away from what we can find in the world today. This, the love of the world is not free. The life it offered took everything this young man had and left him empty. In reality, if this son had came home, in reality, not in the story, but in reality, if the son had actually came home, which he probably wouldn't have in that culture, but if he had come home, he would have found it awful difficult. He would have been facing tremendous odds, a community that would have just shunned him. They, they, they would have done more than just shunning him. They would have not, they wouldn't have even acknowledged him. They would have completely denied his existence. No, you're dead. You're not worth it. You're not lovable. Get out of here. I don't want to see you. I buried you once. And even if the father would have let the son come back and be a laborer. And even if the father would have agreed to let him come back and earn back his place in the family, they would still, even if that would have happened, he still would have been considered dead in the eyes of everyone until he could pay back what he had wasted, until he could pay back that inheritance that he just threw away. And with a day's pay for a day laborer, being about what it's worth, but what it costs to pay for food for one day and probably one meal, this young man would have been stayed buried in the heart of his father and his family for a long time, longer than they lived back then, even longer than we live today. 
the Jews taught that there is no redemption without restitution. You had to pay for that. This young man would have never been reunited. He never would have been restored in a right relationship to his father. But in this story, that's not what happens. The father stumbles. He falls over himself in rejoicing out of love. And he says to this young man, I mean, what would this, in the story, what, what's the young man going to be thinking? If I could just have a place where I could earn a little money and eat, I don't want to die. But the father falls over him, and what he says to him is, forget eating, forget eating with the hired servants. In fact, tonight, today, we're not even going to eat at the table. Go kill that padded calf. Bring it here. Let's kill it. Let's be merry. In fact, bring me the robe. Bring me the sandals. Bring me the ring. Those were signs that you are, you are his. You are part of the family. Why bring the robe? Because you are mine. He's telling his son, you are mine. Jesus bought and paid for our, our sins. That's what the cross is about. There's nothing we could purchase, nothing we could have done. Jesus is using this parable and he's teaching about the Father's love. He's using the Son's outrageous love, this vile behavior, this sin, this it's just outrageous, and he's using that to showcase, to, to bring out just how outrageous our Father's love is. This love that Christ has offered us at the cross, it is free. And the Father's love in this story is free. Christ didn't go to that cross for anything that, that we've done. He went because the Father loves you, because he loves you. What was he thinking about on that cross? He was thinking about us, that day we would die. In fact, Psalms 116 and I think verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of a saint. Ezekiel says, Father doesn't take any pleasure when the wicked die, and that's all there are. There's wicked and there are saints. If we've been, if we've come to the cross, if we're born again, we are a saint. He died for us because he loves us. He, he went because we couldn't have accomplished on that cross what he accomplished. His love has been freely given to us. And it's not because it's cheap. It cost the Father and the Son greatly. We don't even understand what the price the Father and the Son paid. And we don't understand it because we haven't learned how to love. Not well enough to really understand the love of our, our Heavenly Father. 
Then moving on to verses 25 through 32, I won't read them, and it's where the son, the older son, he gets upset. I mean, he can't believe it. This, this brother, he's not lovable. What are you doing? Father, come on. It's like, boom, boom, come on, wake up. What are you doing, Father? You've never done this for me, and I have loved you. I've, come on, what are you thinking? And the Father says, hey, I, everything I have, remember he divided. He divided to them, not just to the younger son. The younger son took, went and, and wasted it. The younger son stayed there, and he knows he doesn't receive it until the father's dead. He doesn't, he's not that outrageous, but yet, send the son away. And the father says, hey, all that I have is yours. But come on, your brother was dead. Do you know how to love? Come on, young, my son, do you know how to love? And the message to that young son, or to the older son there, in, in this story is really, it's today, it's a message to us. It's for us. And if you're going to sum that message up, I, I think we could sum it up maybe like this. That a love that is freely given is to be given freely. Do we ever say to our Father, our Heavenly Father, do we ever say to Him what Isaiah said to Him? Oh Lord, you are the potter, and I am all the work of your hand. It, do we say that? If we have said that, or if we're thinking that even, if we're thinking that we are all the work of his hands, then what, what should our lives look like? What are we to do with this? Except, yeah, to enjoy the Father and to, to love the Father, to know the Father, to worship the Father, to glorify Him, and to love Him forever. But right now, what are we to do with this message, especially with the older son here? If you guys were going to look at me, look at my life, and spell love, how would you spell it? But turn it around on yourselves, too. I mean, the spelling wouldn't go so well if you, if you use my life, but if you did, would it spell, would, would you spell love, E-A-S-Y, easy? Is that me? I mean, yeah, I think I love when it's easy. It's, it's kind of fun to love when it's, when it's easy to love. And uh, I think at least many of us are guilty of that. Would you maybe be able to spell the word love? Would you be able to spell love by looking at my life? M-O-N-E-Y? Money? Do We can love with our money. It's ob obviously, it's much better to love with your money than to love your money. So yeah, I, I hope you could spell my life, M-O-N-E-Y, when it comes to love. But how about time? How about T-I-M-E? I don't know how well that, that my life spells that. But it is, believe it or not, it is. I don't have a bucket list, but if I had a bucket list, on that bucket list would be 
Oh, I could think of some things I haven't done. I'd go to the Grand Canyon. I'd love to do that. But on the top of that list would be learning how to love, learning how to spend my time and just loving to love. That's, that would be on my bucket list. We can only love because God has loved us. And I'd like to end this note not with some words of my own, not with my own thoughts. The title of this message is Love Your Father. And it's written like a signature because this parable, it works pretty well as a signature to the love letter that God has written us. This book is a love letter. We've heard that. We say that. Some of us have seen the, the letter. It, the letter that, it's not my work. This is the Father. This is all the Father. It's a letter from, it's his own words. It's verse after verse. It's Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New. It bounces back and forth, but it's taken God's very own words to you. Father, child, and this is what he's written to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down, and I know when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. I've even numbered the hairs on your head. For you were made in my image, in me, you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. If you were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, and I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day that you were born. I've been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant, and I'm not angry. I am the complete expression of love, and I desire to lavish my love on you simply because I am your father. I offer you more than any earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every gift, every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand and I Rejoice over you with singing. Heaven rejoices when we'll turn to him. I will never stop doing good to you. You are my treasured possession. I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with your heart, you're going to find me. Delight in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart because if you are mine, I have given you those desires. When you're brokenhearted, I am close to you. I am the Father who comforts you. And one day I will wipe 
wipe every tear from your eye, and I will take away the pain that you have suffered on earth. I am your Father, and in Jesus my love is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. If you have received the gift of my Son, then you have received me. Again, we're talking about the, Christ, the, the cross and the cleansing of the sin, the blood of Christ. If you have received the gift of my son, you have received me. And nothing will separate you from me again. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. And then finally, just, just come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. That's our Father's letter to us. And if you're here this morning, and you're not sure whether you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you're not, if you don't know what that means, if you're wondering whether you're a child of God, just please don't, don't leave. Don't leave without asking. There's just a number of us here that would be willing to take a few minutes and just show you. Or if you're even just a little unclear, just, just ask. Just don't, don't leave here wondering about the most precious gift that's available to us.